Hi guys, uh, welcome to the May VAC. This is the Emmet Audio, uh, where this month I'm basically covering spoon carving topics, topics every day in detail. Um, you can probably see these are about 20 minute segments as opposed to my usual five minutes. So uh, we will resume normal programming in June. In the meantime, today I want to talk about sharpening axes. So there's a number of things to say about axes. First of all, most axes that you buy um, that are on the inexpensive side of things, I'm thinking Baco, Stubai, Pirelli, um, a lot of your tag sale axes, they're going to need touching up. And the best way to do this is to clamp it to a bench or just a picnic table will work fine with a, with two clamps, one clamping the head and one clamping the end of the handle. And, um, and then you take a file, a regular uh, bastard mill file, and you file a fresh edge on. Now, it doesn't really matter if you go in towards the edge, that is, you start at the edge and you push towards the head of the axe, or if you start at the head of the axe and push towards the edge such that your file is going off the edge as it completes its stroke. What matters more is with most files, certainly files that only have the, the slash lines, the diagonal lines of the teeth in going one way and don't have it going crisscross, crosshatched both ways, they're meant to be pushed from the handle. So you grab the handle end, and if it doesn't have a handle, get a stick and drill a little hole in it and tap it in. You want a handle, not just that little rat tail. Most files these days come with handles. They figured out that people aren't doing that for themselves anymore. Um, and you need a fresh file. If all you have is files from your grandpa, get a fresh file because files wear out and files get clogged up and the teeth break and they are not a forever tool. So if all you have is some old file you got at a tag sale for two bucks, go to the hardware store and get yourself a fresh file for eight bucks. Um, and you want to put a fresh edge on, you want to be pushing, uh, sort of holding the handle on the side towards yourself and pushing away from yourself. And if you clamp it, obviously the whole point is that you can then uh, steady the file, the tip of the file with your other hand and really apply a great deal of pressure. It's a good idea to put um, a glove on the hand that is going to be holding the handle part, just in case it comes up against the edge of the axe. As you put a fresh edge on it, that edge will get sharp enough to cut you with just a careless uh, slip. So put a leather glove on. And in general, when you're putting a fresh edge on an axe, specifically putting an edge on for spoon carving, the idea is to create a flat bevel. And in general, you want the wider you can make that bevel, the better. So that being said, if you make it wide also corresponds to making the edge more acute. If you were to look down at the edge, you make it more acute, that's what makes the bevels wider, right? So there's going to be a sort of realistic limit to that in the sense that, um, well, for the most part, you're just going to kind of make it as wide as you can. And if you get it, I'm measuring now with my fingers, if you get it so that it's like 
half an inch to three quarters of an inch. That's ideal. Certainly not more than that. Um, and if it's on the more like three eighths of an inch side of things, that you would try and push that a little further. And if it's you're only getting like a quarter inch bevel, you just need more. You need more than that to. Um, hey Willa, come on, come back to the road, please. Let's go, Willa. Yo, come on, come on. Good girl. I think she's found a deer skeleton and is running around with a bone in her mouth. All right, uh, so you just, you need a wider bevel than that. And the reason you need a wider bevel than that is that the wide bevel is going to help you, it's gonna help the tool bite in more successfully. Now, there's another thing you can do to help with that. If you are right-handed, let's say, when you are holding the ax so that it is touching the piece of wood that you're gonna be using the ax on, the side of the, axe that is in towards the wood you could scrub that back so it's really acute and then you would have to make the other side more obtuse if that makes sense so you're not going for a, just a single bit axe where you only sharpen the obtuse side and and because almost all axes are going to have that bevel on the other side but essentially what you're doing is you're you're making the side that's in towards the wood more bitey and you're supporting that relatively delicate edge by making the other side fatter. Now this has the downside of making your axe, uh, you can't just pass it off to a lefty then, which as a lefty I feel miffed by that. But I also, when I had, uh, when I was starting out and I found out about this, I tried it, and if you are using an axe that, um, where you're struggling to get a wide enough bevel as is, this can be a good approach because uh, it really lets you push back that one side real hard, and then um, and then keep the other side fatter at a more obtuse angle, so that it uh, helps support that edge and it won't crumple under use. Now, once you have filed back the edge of your axe. And this is also uh, so what you're gonna do. You're gonna use the same technique if your ax gets damaged. The only time I've damaged my ax has been when I didn't realize there was a nail in a piece of wood and I just put my ax right into that nail. And sure enough, put a nice, nice little ding in the edge of my ax. That took a long time to get out. So I am very picky and careful about what I ask my ax to do. I don't go slamming it into burls or knots or things like that. If I can, I can saw those, I can saw away the chunk that has that. I do that so that, you know, I'm asking my ax to split the wood and I'm asking my ax to hew uh, nice clear grained, relatively fresh wood that has a high enough moisture content that it's not damaging the edge of the ax. I also think it's super important to I try really hard and I get super nervous when I have to ax uh, and have my stump on a concrete floor um, or gravel. Um, either of those situations is not good. And the sooner you can build up sort of a protective layer of wood chips around your stump, the better. Um, but I get very nervous about that. Even if I have the habit, which I do, of sinking my ax into the stump, it just occasionally falls out. 
you know, you don't sink it in as much as you thought. You knock it and it wiggles and it falls. So, um, if you can have your stump on, uh, on the ground, do that. If you need to put your stump down on a piece of plywood, although it will skitter on the plywood, do that. But like, for instance, I could see if you had like, um, like a concrete that went up to a wall and you could put your stump so that you're sort of like working into the wall and any sideways pressure you're putting on the stump would make it slide into the wall. You can brace two of the feet of the stump against the wall and it'll, you'll be pushing into the wall essentially. In that case, you could put a piece of plywood under your stump and the fact that it's going to skitter on the plywood just wouldn't matter because you're pushing it into the wall as part of the axe, as part of the, the axing process. Um, either way, it's good insurance because man, your axe lands on concrete, you are going to be really sad. And they do fall, so um, it's just worth doing. Notice that I did not say always put a sheath on your axe. In part because most sheaths are a pain in the neck to put on, take off, etc. I think that just having not being careful about where you use your axe is probably more important. So you're going to use that same filing technique to repair the edge of your axe or put a fresh new edge on it, you are probably not going to need to file your axe at any other time, certainly not for sharpening. Um, for sharpening the axe, I use the same sandpaper wrapped around a block method that I use uh, for sharpening my knives. And what I do is I hold the axe by holding the head of the axe such that the handle is either pointing straight out away from me or the handle is tucked in against my chest. Um, and then I'm holding the head with my fingers and thumb sort of wrapped around the top and the bottom of the head um, with the edge face up. And that allows me to use the sandpaper wrapped around the block cocked at an angle such that as I make a pass from one end of the axe edge to the other, I'm also going from one end of my sandpaper to the other. You see, you have to sort of cock the block with the sandpaper at about 45 degrees in order to achieve that. And I'm going back and forth and back and forth and the position of the axe, holding it either with the handle against my chest or with the handle pointed straight away from me, allows me to very accurately and easily tell if the sandpaper is truly flat against the bevel on the axe. And if I am truly um, uh, flat and all the way to the edge, rock, right, like sort of get it so that the sandpaper and the axe edge are lined up with each other. Now, some axes come with a convex bevel like a lot of the Granfers Brooks, like Wildlife Hatchet, etc. Those, I'm not sure there's enough meat on those axes to put a flat Scandi grind on them. And so you might want to just maintain those convex bevels. Those convex bevels are not ideal though, because a convex bevel on an axe increases the tendency of the axe when it comes in at the wood at a shallow angle to skip off the wood. And an axe that caromes off of a piece of wood is no longer under your control and it's dangerous. So you want to 
I would steer you away from purchasing that type of axe. Um, and instead choose an axe that either is purpose-built for this, like Robin Wood's axe, or my favorite, the Granfers Brooks large Swedish carving axe, or get an axe that is thick enough, like the Pirelli or the Baco or the Stubai, that you can file an edge on for yourself. But the Granfers Brooks, the, the, their light axes that I've seen are so delicate that they, they won't allow you to do this. Um, now they do come sharp, but as I said, sharp doesn't help you much if you're having a hard time getting it to bite in because it wants to skip off the wood. Um, so let's see, where was I with the sharpening? So you're going to use the sandpaper block and it's less of the, with, with axes, there is no like checking for the flash of light to see if there's a secondary bevel. It's more just like using your eyeballs to see if you've gotten to the secondary bevel. Um, and, and I'm not feeling for a burr or anything like that. I go back and forth and back and forth. And typically what I do is I choose, I start it with a 400 grit piece of sandpaper and I generally budget that I'm gonna use the entire sheet of sandpaper, shuffling it around the block several times to sort of establish that fresh edge. Now, how often do you need to sharpen an ax? I make blanks for a living. So I make uh, often close to 100 blanks a week. I probably go 400 blanks between sharpenings. So if you're carving a spoon a day and you don't damage your edge in any way, you might go a year before you sharpen your ax again. Just think about that, let that sink in. Now obviously, whether or not you need to sharpen your axe has to do with how much F, you know, how much you're making your axe do. Are you slamming it into gnarly chunks of wood? Are you asking it to cut across knots? Are you asking it to chop around into wood that is drier than would be ideal? Um, all of these things will lead to you needing to sharpen your axe more often. So how do you know if you need to sharpen your axe? Well, one thing would be if it's skipping out of the cut, but the other thing would just be if you find yourself using more force than you need. A nicely sharpened axe will sweetly enter the wood and it will just be fairly, it will be less effort to use. So largely it's a matter of experience. You just gotta if you don't have any gut sense of whether the axe is sharp or not, just start using it. Get a sense of what it feels like. Then try sharpening it to the best of your ability. Get a sense of what that feels like. Do some thinking about what it might be. Is it better? Is it worse than it was before? If it's worse, what can you do to make it better again? If it's better than it was, you now know that that previous feeling was what it felt like when it needed to be sharpened. So. It's just a matter of using your experience to tell you what's going on and what to do next. So, where are we now with the axes? Um, ah, yes. So you stay with the 400 grit until you feel like you've eliminated any secondary bevel. 
and then you walk your way up through the grits. All the same principles apply as I talked about previously. If you're gonna double your grit to 800 or 1,000, you wanna do 10 to 15 passes per side. Now, the temptation, because it's a short bit on an ax, is to go really fast, because you're like, hey, if I go really fast, I can be, I can get done with this sooner. Hey, Willa, come on, stop eating the horse poop. And the problem with that is that you're inevitably gonna, it's gonna come back to haunt you, because you're gonna go fast, and then at some point your hand is gonna slip all the way, your hand with the sandpaper is gonna slip all the way off the edge of the ax, and then you're gonna come back misaligned, and this, the possibility of you gashing open the side of your hand or your wrist is very real. So nice and deliberate and slow with these motions when you're sharpening your ax. Um, now, I will say that it is possible to over-sharpen an ax, in my opinion. And I have relatively limited experience with this, but I use this particular style of axe, and my apprentice, Dano, came over one day, and he had just bought a brand new one of these types of axes. And we were comparing the two axes. They were virtually the same, except his edge was much, uh, his bevel was much flatter than mine, and his edge was to a sharper point than mine. It was a sharper axe. Now my axe bit in reliably with each stroke, don't get me wrong, but his was just very, very sharp. What we found, what I found, was that the sharper edge actually bit in so deeply that it kind of stuck. With each bite, it stuck a little bit and I had to tug it to get it off. And when we were trying to analyze why Dano was having trouble being accurate, we had him try using my axe and he was much more accurate. Come on, Will, let's go. And the only thing I can think of is that because my axe was a little bit dull, it didn't bind in each cut the way his did. Come on, Willa, let's go. Willa, come on. Yo, let's go. Whereas his very sharp axe would bind up in the wood just a touch so that he had to tug to retrieve it and that tug would throw off his next blow and it wouldn't land exactly where his previous one had landed. If you see what I mean. Come on, Willow, let's go. Yo, come on. I don't know what she's doing up in the woods. So I have this theory now that it's actually beneficial. As long as your ax is biting in reliably, it is beneficial for it to be a little on the dull side. There is no advantage that I can see to having it be super duper whopping sharp. Certainly not sharp enough to shave with or anything like that. Um, and, you know. Uh, so, let me just think. Oh yeah, let's talk about hollow grinds for a second. So, you get the sense that when whenever people sort of reach a certain level with spoon carving, that like then they become friends with somebody who has a Tormac, and they learn how to hollow grind their tools, and that everything is better when your tools are hollow ground. I would say with knives, this is true. With axes, I don't know. I've never gotten to use a hollow ground axe. I suspect there's a chance that it would simply make the edge 
uh, more delicate and that that might exacerbate some of these bitey issues that I was talking about. But I genuinely don't know. With a hollow grind on a knife, the benefit is that there isn't that material between the actual edge and then like the back of the bevel. It's that material has been removed from by the, di- by the curvature of the wheel that has been applied with the abrasive wheel has been applied to the edge has sort of scalloped out or hollowed out so that instead of the bevel being these two straight lines, it's these two slightly concave curves coming up to join each other at a point. And then as you sharpen on top of that over flat medium, you're creating these rails, these sort of two flat planes that really define the the plane of the bevel that gradually get wider and wider and wider as they as you push down into the material until they finally eliminate the hollow grind over a long period of time, many sharpenings. The benefit to having a hollow grind is that without that stuff in the middle between the front rail and the back rail, let's call them, the front rail is the one right at the edge, the back rail is the one right at sort of where the bevel meets the sort of back flat of the blade. Without that stuff in the middle between the front rail and back rail, Maisie, let's go. Boy, I'm losing one dog than the other. Maisie, come on. So without that stuff in the middle, what you end up with is a knife where it is easier to tell what is when the when the bevel is truly flat on the sharpening surface. It will kind of click into place in a more definitive way that is easier to feel than on a Mora, which is flat. And I don't really understand. Yeah, she definitely has a a deer bone in her mouth. I don't really understand why, um, how, how Mora manages to sharpen the bevels flat and why they don't just hollow grind them. It must have to do with their machining and tooling and how they can get a reliable product. But I will say with Sloyd knives, a hollow grind is tremendously beneficial. It makes the tool um, more willing to make delicate, fine, gentle cuts because you're basically, it's impossible to have a convex bevel, something we're gonna talk about in a subsequent episode while you still have that hollow, more or less. Um, And so, uh, so that's the deal with hollow grinds. And I guess I got to stop because there's someone coming. I'll talk to you guys tomorrow.